0: Ed wanted to make sure I was up here when, when he finished, so I am. <laughs> um, Mark, I really appreciate your thoughts on the Lord's Supper. That passage from 1 uh, Peter is marvelous, and I hope you, everyone listened to it. And I'm, I may use that in my next lesson on Laodicea. We're only going to get the first part today, but it's a great passage, and I'm not going to preach it right now, so I'll just stop there. You know, family reunions are wonderful if you have a good family. They're not so, <laughs> not so wonderful if you don't have a good family, but if you have a good family, it's a wonderful thing. And as I came in today and I was looking around, I was like, man, this is a family reunion. People are hugging each other. People are helping each other. Uh, you know, we, we complain sometimes that we can't get everyone to be quiet and before you know to start church. And it's like we started a long time ago. We're just continuing this, and it's, it is hard to get people quiet, and that's okay. And I'm looking back, and I see all these children, wonderful children everywhere. And it really makes me appreciate you parents, and I want to say that. I mean, the parents who deal with their little children, trying to, you know, train them and teach them and have them listen, and, uh, and it's difficult. It wears out the parents more than the, than the children. But I appreciate your efforts, as I've said before. And, you know, they yell out, you know, when, you know, in the middle of a sermon and things like that. It's okay. And it really is. It's really okay. I'm, I love, See, the five just came in skipping. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> All that is good, good stuff. Um, one of my grandchildren, I think she was talking to me yesterday, and I gave her away. She said, uh, Big Dog, I, when I get older, and I'm, I'm going to take notes of your sermon. I'm going to come and take notes. And I said, good. You know, she's learning how to write right now, read, and she says, but right now, I don't understand the thing you say. <laughs> and that, that wasn't her exact words, but that's really what she said. And I said, that's, that's okay. That's part of maturing. You're growing up. You know, there's a lot of adults that don't understand the thing I say. But, uh, that's their fault, not my fault, you know. <laughs> but it's the children. You know, children are, are children. If you have to, as I've said before, if you have to take them out, you know, if, they, if you have to discipline them, don't, don't beat them up. You know, don't. They're, they're just being kids. And it's great. Um, Matthew and I were at a ball game. I can't remember when it was. Uh, sometime this past week. And this child came up to us. We didn't know her. Five years old, six years old, I don't know. And she said, I learned something. You want to see? Want to see what I can do? And we're like, sure. And she takes a swig of water, and she throws her head back and gargles.
1: Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we're like, good. That's really good. And she said, yeah, I know. And she walks to the next person and says, hey, you want to see what I can do? <laughs> kids would be kids. That's great. We we just started talking about what what would happen if we walked around the park and hey you want to see what I can do (laughs) we might be kicked out of the park but you know it's just wonderful to be here and and I I know we come with emotional pain physical pain uh, you know you know a lot of pain that draws us inward and causes us to think of ourselves because that's what pain does. Uh, sadness and things, and so when you come into your family reunion, that's your time to look up, and it helps you get out of yourself. It helps you to get out and see. You know, we we're a big family here, helping one another. We're looking at the cities of the seven cities of Asia, Laodicea today, uh, Revelation chapter three, and this is the last city in that circuit of seven cities. We started in uh, Ephesus and. Went to Smyrna and so on. We're in Laodicea, and in a minute you'll see a, a little map shows where all that is. And each lesson has touched me as I've studied it and I've seen myself there. I said, that's me. Different areas. Sometimes it's strengths, and sometimes it's the weaknesses, sometimes it's the sins. And as I looked at this one, I, I thought, this one perhaps touches us as a group. More than the others, perhaps. And perhaps it's in individuals. I struggle with how to present all these lessons. There's so many details that would be better to present them in a classroom setting and than, a, and than in a sermon setting. Uh, but at the same time, I'm trying to find a, a balance between giving you information that helps you understand the passage without overloading with details. And everyone's different, you know, some people come to me and say, Oh, you didn't have enough details, and someone else says you had too many. So, you know, I'm caught in between, rocking a hard place. But that's okay, that's that's what I have to do. But the method is we've examined as we've come to each of these churches, we've examined the city to see who the letter is addressed to. And each letter begins the same way. It states the name of a church, the city where the church is uh, existing. And then it talks about Jesus. And then after that, most of them have the same formula. Two of them are a little bit different. We won't go into that right now. Because today we're just going to look at the church and we're going to look at Jesus. And my question is, why, do, why should we spend time looking at the church? At each of these churches, the city and the background. And I think the reason it helps us understand, because these are what I'm calling cultural echoes There's cultural echoes in the book of uh, Revelation, and there's spiritual echoes in the uh, the, uh, book of Revelation. And it helps us understand these these ties and make applications to our lives. And that's the important part, is it helps us to understand what he's saying, and therefore we we can make application. Um, understanding the city is important. It's like this. If I were to say, for you who are familiar, if I said Mayfair Church of Christ, instantly, those of you who know of that congregation, have an have a, 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 a image in your mind. You think of their strengths. You can think of their weaknesses. You think of people. You think of circumstances. And there's a personality that comes out when you say the Mayfair Church of Christ. Same thing with central. If I say central, immediately your mind changes to a different attitude, a different personality, a different strength, different strengths, different weaknesses, and so on. But if I told you Navari Church, who knows anything about it? You actually don't. You know Nambuwali. You don't know Navari. Well, you might. You read my reports. All right. (laughs) My mother. (laughs) She <laughs> always spoils it. <laughs> no, I actually know the point is still valid because most people go, what? It's just a name. It's just a name. And, and yet, for those who have been there and worked with it or read the reports, you, there's, a, there's a connection, and you know their strengths, you know their weaknesses, and so on. And so when Jesus spoke to them, he, he, his, his instructions to them tied to their culture. So they understood instantly when they made a statement, when, they, when he, when he d- describes a, an incident. Um, for instance, both in Thyatira and Philadelphia, they're told to hold on tightly to what they had. And if you know the background that Thyatira, they were tempted to pledge allegiance to their trade unions, to their gods of the trade unions... And so they were being encouraged to only pledge allegiance to the Son of God, and that's how Jesus is described there, and to hold on to that. But the phrase took a different shade of meaning when it came to Philadelphia, where there, he says, uh, uh, hold on to what you have. He's meaning don't forget who you are in Christ and what you have in Christ. Otherwise, the victory that you have there, you're going to turn that over. You're going to lead defeated lives. Same phrase, slightly different meanings. The scripture echoes are important. You have to know the story of Balaam and Jezebel to get an understanding of the threat that these churches, when they say the teachings of Balaam, the teachings of Jezebel. If you're not familiar with the scripture there, you don't know what he's talking about. And so we have to have, get, get this back background because it's symbolically uh, portrayed here. Laodicea was the third city that I visited. I did Originally, I was going to try and go in order. I was going to go to Patmos Island, and then I was going to go to Ephesus and so on. Um, but I got there. Uh, the city you land in is where Smyrna is, so I, I didn't want to waste time. I spent, went to Smyrna, and then I tried to go to Patmos, as some of you know, and couldn't make it there. And so at that point, I went to Ephesus, and then I went 100 miles uh, due east to is the third city that I visited. It was a warm, uh, sunny day. Uh, I was virtually alone. Videos I'll show you in a moment. Just virtually alone as I wandered through acres and acres and acres of partially restored ruins. And I had time to pray. I had time to reflect. I had time to read my Bible. I was by myself. I, you know, I took, I don't know how many hours I was there. Took my time doing that. Uh, the previous day, I had visited Colossae, and I'll share some uh, things on Colossae today. But had uh, a marvelous event that happened to me in Colossae. Uh, I had gone; to, I was staying in Hierapolis area. All these are tied together, as so we'll see in just a few minutes. I was telling Elliot earlier. I said I did not realize the effect that this visit had on to me until much later. In fact, until I started reviewing the videos and the pictures, uh, that that the connection that I had uh, with my thoughts and and the people and the struggles that they went through, uh, I believe had a uh, a, an effect. I don't know. I want to say don't want to get exaggerate and say profound effect, but an effect on my life. It was a very bright day. I couldn't, I could hardly, it was so bright it's hard to to see, but it was was a a wonderful place. Let let me read to you um, from the letter to the uh, Laodiceans. Chapter 3, verse 14 says, to the angels of the church of Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, and the ruler of God's creation. That's what we're going to cover today. But let's read on because you're going to see connections as we as 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 you hear this letter. I know your deeds. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold, hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and, wear white clo- and have white clothes to wear and so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Everyone says, listen, listen. That's what that last phrase is saying. We're going to look at the city today, and we're going to look at the one who wrote to the city. And so to introduce that, we're going to walk into the city together. I'm going to share with you the first moments as I came into the city of Laodicea in this video,
1: I've just walked into Laodicea, and this church was materially wealthy and self sufficient. They thought they had everything going well with them, and I can see why. It's
0: For those of you who are technical, that's an amphitheater, not a stadium. But, uh, you know, I didn't have a script. Uh, Laodicea, it was founded by a man named Antiochus of Syria, 250 BC, 200 years, 250 years before Christ. And he named it after his wife. Isn't that romantic? Laodicea was her name. So they named it, he named it after his wife, later divorced her. She poisoned him. (laughs) Thus ends the love story. But that's, it, it was named after, after her. They did have uh, marriage problems. Um, it was wealthy, a wealthy city. Uh, it, that, this is its distinguishing characteristic, wealth. And it was especially bl- uh, blessed with its location, as I said. And you really can't see it. The, the, it was a little hazy that day. But it was just absolutely a beautiful, beautiful area. Snow-covered mountains there in April uh, this cool breeze that was coming through, that is a plane. I said, I oh, do it's like a hate hillier. it's a plane. Uh, and it encouraged this cooling breeze to constantly, kind of, there was the air conditioning of the day. They had air conditioning. They had wealth. They had all this good stuff. And the key to their wealth was that they were at a crossroads between Fergia to the east the province of Phrygia, and then it's a straight road, that black line there is a straight road to Ephesus, where it was a major port. So things came in from all over the world to Ephesus and went, could go 100 miles to uh, Laodicea and then out into the eastern uh, frontier. Uh, another main road went up to Pergamum and then further up went on to Troas and, and into Greece. And so it was just this key area. Uh, where all the cities of the area, as any kind of trade that came it had to go through uh, Laodicea. And so what they brought, bought and what they sold just brought this huge wealth, uh, financial resources to them. And one of the things that, they were, they, that was good for them is they had um, sheep there that were unique to that area. They were a black, glossy black wool sheep. They only, grew, they only raised them in this area. And they would uh, take that wool, they, would ha- they had a garment industry there. Uh, the people of Laodicea could buy it wholesale, and so they wore fine clothes at a cut, uh, you know, at a cut rate price. Then they'd sell these things throughout the world and, uh, and, and uh, make a lot of money through, through that. There was a medical center nearby and they actually brought it into the city later on. It produced an eye and an ear ointment. And they made these into tablets so they could they could export them throughout the world, and people would take them and crush them up and mix them with oil and put it on their eyes if they were having eye problems or ear problems. And it seemed to be highly effective. Uh, all the writings talked about how great this, this, uh, this, uh, this salve was. And it sold throughout the region, just bringing in more money. Uh, it was a, Because it was prosperous, the Romans brought in a, uh, their peace and they brought in a great deal of money. They brought in banks, and that further increased their wealth. By the year 60 A.D., another, hur- uh, another hurricane, another uh, uh, earthquake came through. And seven, I talked about the one in 17, year 17, that really destroyed the area. There was another one in 60 A.D., and it was terrible, and the government actually offered the cities that, that had uh, problems to um, rebuild their cities, to give them financial aid, government aid. And their answer was, we have no need they rebuilt the city out of their own resources and on some of the buildings today is in greek from our own resources they were proud of it they didn't need government aid they could do it themselves they had enough money they rebuilt their their city of the seven cities this is probably the most secular Uh, the excavations have found very little in regards to temples Shrines. I did see one temple while I was there. Statues. All, I didn't. I don't remember any statues, and it's not that they were totally absent. They just weren't prominent. You walk into Ephesus, you see the temples. I mean, you see them, and you see the statues. You walk into um, Pergamum. Man, the the obvious religious people. Uh, the temple, the altar of Zeus, and the temples to the different uh, emperor gods are just everywhere. But you come into Laodicea, and it's just not there. But there's ample evidence of entertainment, public baths, a stadium, two amphitheaters. Uh, The name itself could be an indication of the democratic nature of the city. This may be reading too much into it, but it really matches with what we know about it. But the word Laodicea comes from two words, laos and dike which means people rule. They were the ones who ruled. Uh, It was democratic in many ways. Everyone had an opinion. Everyone had their business. They had little need for outside help. They didn't need help from the government, and they didn't need help from the gods the other cities relied on. But they had one major weakness, lack of water. There's no water there. There's no wells. There's no, they're up on the, in the plain. There's no river that's very close by. Uh, the closest river is several miles away toward Colossae. I want to show you another video here uh, that's, that just emphasizes the perfect spot that this is except for the water. I'm here. Pamukkale, which was known as Heropolis in their day and time, and we're going to get to that, as I said, in just a minute. The closest river is Encolossi, about uh, several miles away. Uh, Laodicea can never become a military base because it didn't have water. You can't defend a place that doesn't have water. And so water came from two sources. One was the mineral springs that I showed you in the distance there uh, in Heropolis. There's some calcium uh, mineral uh, water in that area, and they would pipe that in. They also piped in water, fresh cold water from the uh, Lycus River uh, near uh, Colossae, and they brought that in through um, uh, uh, aqueducts. but in both cases, as it traveled many, many miles to Laodicea, when it arrived there, it was tepid. It was warm water, whichever way it came. The hot water became warm. The cold water became warm. As I said, I went to Colossae. I was, I was staying in a little place uh, in Heropolis. And immediately, I, I got checked in. I put my stuff uh, in, in the hotel, and I drove to Colossae, and uh, I'm going to show you that in just a moment. There is connection between these two cities that can give us some insight. They're only about 10 miles, 10, 11 miles away from each other. Uh, it took me about 20 minutes to drive it uh, by road. It's not a straight ride, r- drive on the road, but um, it took me about 20 minutes. But as you look at the book of Colossians, which we're going to do in just a minute, it's going to give us some clues to the origin of... Of um, of Laodicea, is going to show us maybe a little of their struggles and opportunities that they have. But let's look at Colossi uh, quickly.
1: So um, Colossi is not one of the seven churches of Asia, but it's close to Laodicea. I want to come out here. It's just a mountain. said I wish it was cold or
0: I walked that mound reading the book of Colossians, and I read it out loud. I was by myself. Why not? And so I read the book of Colossians, and uh, probably next time I'll, I'll share with you an event that d- did take place on, on top of that mound. Uh, unexpected, but I'll, I'll save that till next week. Epaphras was the founder. And it's likely that when this great evangelistic growth happened in Acts chapter 19 that from Ephesus, Paul was there. He spent two years and he was teaching at a, in a school there. And he says, all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia, this is that area, Turkey, heard the word of the Lord. And I don't know if that's literal or hyperbole. But either way, everyone heard the word of the Lord, which is absolutely amazing when you think they did it by foot. They walked. They had no advertisement, no printing. They just walked and spoke the word of the Lord. And this man, Epaphras, was the one who came to Colossae and began sharing God's Word probably during that time. Colossians chapter 1 verse 7 says, All over the world the gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as, it, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf And who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So here's this man. He walks a hundred and something, about a hundred miles. And not as straight, it's a straight road, as roads can be straight. But it's mountainous at areas. And uh, he walked all the way uh, there, began sharing with them. But there was a connection with this city that's close by called uh, Laodicea. And we look over in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you. And for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not yet met me personally. And so he sits here and says, I want you to know I'm struggling for you people in Colossae, just as I am for those over in the next town of Laodicea. And then a hint may be why he has to struggle. In verse 2 he says, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and unified in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. They're, they don't get it yet. Not completely. In order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Here he is talking to Christians and he says, I want you to know Christ. And they, they're like, we do. We're Christians. No, I want you to know him. I want you to, know the, I want you to have full understanding here. And that could give us a hint. That these people had already started away from Christ focused living, They're moving away from Christ focused living. And I think that might have been uh, led to their, their problems that we'll read about in uh, Revelation. Over in chapter 4 of Colossians, it continues, uh, verse 12, uh, 13. He says here, uh, Epaphras, who is one of you? This is a local boy, all right? He was from Colossae. And so he had been converted maybe in Ephesus and he went back home and he says, who is one of you and a servant of Jesus Christ sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you so that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. This is where their struggle is. They're not fully assured. They're Christians that are questioning their Christianity. They're not mature. They're not firm in the will of God. He says, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. This young man or old man, I don't know what hell he was, walked to Colossae, probably walked, and established a church there and then walked 10 miles, 11 miles, and worked and established a church in Laodicea and then walked another 10, 11 miles to Heropolis and started a church there. And I know a man named Dula in Fiji who walked 10 villages teaching the gospel. And, and he, he, he measured his work by the amount, the number of shoes that he wore out. Literally. He said, I'm on my 10th pair. Because he walked and walked and walked. And this is what Epaphras did. He went to church after church trying to strengthen them, trying to help these, these churches. And then there's a church. Uh, at Nympha's house in verse 15, give my greeting to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church at her house. And I'm not sure if that's saying Nympha's house church was in Laodicea or Colossae. My first reading, I thought it was in Colossae. Now I'm kind of like, well, it could be, I mean, the wording is kind of vague to me. Maybe someone else can clear it up. But there's a church meeting in a lady's house named Nympha. There must have been interchange of letters. We see this in verse 16. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read, read in the church of the Laodiceans. So that you in turn will read the letter from the Laodiceans. There's a letter that Paul sent to the Laodiceans. There's a letter he sent to Colossae. He tells them, swap letters. All right? Uh, that letter to the Laodiceans could be a lost letter. It could be a letter that we, don't, we have no uh, you know, evidence of it anymore. Or there's some some uh, that think that that letter is a letter we call the Ephesians letter. The word in some of your, your footnotes, when it says, uh, to the church at Ephesus, there's a little footnote that says old manuscripts don't have the word Ephesus there. And so it might have been a very general letter. It might have been talking about that letter. That's, a, that's just a possibility. Uh, let, let me show you one last video, and then we're going to leave the videos uh, uh, of um, of this area this is about Nymphas house
1: mountains before I leave
0: Colossi. So these churches <clears throat> must not have only shared letters, but shared fellowship with one another. And it's not too much for me to think of a young man being sent 10 miles uh, to Laodicea from Colossi to say, hey, on Thursday or on Friday or next week, we're going to have a fellowship. We're inviting you all to come. And they had marched that 10 miles, or maybe in Laodicea, they would, since they were kind of in the middle, invite the church in Heropolis and the church in Colossae for special uh, gatherings together. There was no persecution in Laodicea. So it would, would have been fine for them to meet together. About 30 years passed from the letter between the letter to the Colossians and the letter to the revelation of the revelation. Jesus has described three ways here. And it's important for us to remember. It's easier for us to think about the church here and and forget about Jesus. That's why we have the Lord's Supper, to remind us. And I'm here to remind us that this letter is not written to the churches. It's it's not written about the churches. It's written about Jesus. It's written to the churches, but it's about Jesus. It's not about the churches. It's not about their sins. It's not about their victories. The center is Jesus. And out of the center, sins are dealt with. Victories are. Are accomplished and credit is given to God. This is the only church that the descriptions of Jesus are not taken from the vision. In chapter 1, they're uh, not t- taken directly from the vision. There's three. Amen. He is the amen. This is fitting for the last letter of, uh, of the seven. We say amen at the end of a statement or a prayer. We sang it uh, one of the songs, uh, I, now I can't remember what the song is, but it's, be, uh, be unto him uh, be forever and ever. Mm-hmm. All right. Amen. All right. You sang it. All right. You use that word. Um, so we say that at the end of a statement, at the end of a prayer. And Jesus is saying here, he's saying, I am the end of the statement. I am the end of the matter. Amen. This was told me to me as a true story. Someone said he actually saw this, I, and I don't, can't remember who it was. But he said a young Christian was asked to pray for the, in public for the first time. And he, he agreed to, and he got up and he prayed, and this prayer just went on and on and on. And the person who was listening said he was just amazed that this, this young Christian could pray such a lengthy prayer He expected him to get up to say a few words and be over. What he didn't know is the man couldn't remember how to end a prayer. (laughs) He couldn't remember amen. And so he ended up saying, you're sincerely, John Doe, and sat down. (laughs) But amen means it's over, the final word. And it's the only time in the New Testament that this is used as a proper noun, as a name. But in Isaiah 65, verse 16, twice in your English it says, the God of truth. And the word there literally is the God of Amen. If you read it in Hebrew, it says Amen. All right? That's the word. Uh, the word has gone from Hebrew to Greek to English. And it's the same word. It hasn't been translated. It goes Amen. To Greek is Amen. To uh, English is Amen. To American English is Amen. All right? And so it's the same. It's the very same word. Jesus is saying, I am the final word. I am it. Uh, When I say amen, it's it's all over. When Jesus said in uh, John, he says, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, or I tell you the truth, or verily, verily, literally, those words are amen, amen. And the word means, this is truth. This is true. It's a true statement. Uh, uh, Ed here said uh, something like, uh, if you're a... if you're happy to be here, say amen, right? Why didn't he say, if you're happy here, say whoop-de-doo? I mean, it would have been okay, but it would have been fun, but <laughs> maybe it wouldn't have been a good idea. But what we're saying is, if you're happy to be here, say, that's true. That's what you're doing. That, that's, and it's that's the final word, I'm happy to be here. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, this is the final word, and the final word is true. Second, he is the faithful and true witness. Verse 5 of chapter 1 calls him the faithful witness. And what he is saying here, it he says, what I see, I will convey it to you at faithfully, and it will be the truth. When Jesus speaks, it is fa- a faithful witness. The eyes, blazing eyes that see everything, the one who walks among the churches, who sees everything, is going to convey truth, and he's going to do it faithfully. Uh, he is about to turn the Laodiceans' reality on its head. They are looking at reality, and it's not real. What they see, what they hear, what they feel is false. And he's going to turn that around, and he's trying to tell them right now, listen, I want to tell you something, and I'm going to be faithful. I'm not going to hold back. And what I'm going to tell you is true, and everything in you, every sense, every feeling, every thought is going to rebel against what I'm about to tell you. But what I'm telling you is faithful, and it's true. You can trust me on this, he says. Everything I'm going to tell you is true. And then he's the ruler of God's creation, literally the beginning of the creation of God. And this word beginning could mean the origin, the very beginning. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 says all things were created through him and for him. He was the creator. He was the beginner. And it also means the same word can be translated ruler. He rules creation because he is the originator of creation. He began it so he rules it. He is the king. To paraphrase these three, I put it this way. I am the final word. My word ends all arguments. You can trust me, for I will lay everything out faithfully and truthfully. No one can oppose me because I rule heaven and earth. The Laodiceans had a wonderful life materially. Good jobs. Comfort. No persecution. Wealth. And it all led to a world-focused life. And I believe it happened so slowly, they didn't even realize it. The change was so gradual and so slow that one day they, well, they didn't wake up. They never woke up. Jesus had to come and tell them, Man, you say you're rich? You don't have a penny. We'll get into that next time. Jesus brings himself to us. He says, Listen, Central. I am the final amen. I'm the final word. I'm not only the truth, I am the embodiment of all truth. And if we're honest, we'll hear hard things. If we're honest, if we're listening, that's our problem, we don't listen. The Laodiceans weren't listening for years. If we listen, we'll hear hard things when we're confronted with truth. So the question I ask myself This week was this. What is my excuse for not listening to Jesus? Put it to you. What is your excuse for not listening to Jesus? He is saying something. He who has ears, let him hear. We just don't listen sometimes. And the things that that make it hard for me is I'm distracted by really good things. Good things of life. Money. Comforts, a good family, good church, good friends, and all those wonderful things. They're wonderful. They're blessings from God. But if we're not careful, the good things in life can draw us away from godly living, brings us into family living, brings us into, you know, and I'm talking about the focus. We, of course, the Bible talks a lot about how you handle your money, how you handle your friends. How you, how you relate to your spouse. I mean, there's all that. It's not saying that's not important. It's just saying that's not the focus of living. And that's where I mess up. We see how this happened to the Laodiceans. They had a wonderful life. I walked through that wonderful, it, maybe it's just the day. Maybe the day was just a wonderful day. But I walked through that, and I said, these people had it made. This would be a great place. If I had my family, this would be a great place to live if there was a house there. It'd be wonderful. The reality will only be clear when we listen to God's truth, which is found in Jesus. Next week, we're going to look, Jesus is going to say, I'm going to tell you what is real. And I want you to listen to me because what you think is real is not real. My, my job this week is to decide, am I going to follow the ruler of the universe or am I going to follow myself? Am I going to rule the universe or am I going to follow the universe, the, the universe's ruler? <laughs> Which am I going to do? Don't make an excuse for following Jesus, for not listening to Jesus. Listen to him. Through God's word, he calls us to him. He calls us to a relationship with him. Those of you who may not be in a relationship and you don't know how to get in that relationship, a lot of people here can share that with you, including myself. We'll sit down and share with you. This is how you become a Christian. This is how you get into a relationship with God. This is how you hear his voice. Some of us struggle with our relationship. We get so turned inward that we forget others. We forget the relationship we should have with God. And so just as John and Jesus call people every, in almost every one of these letters, repent. We live a life of repentance. And so I want to ask us all again, as we stand and sing this song, to repent where we are, turn back to God, and continue to live with him for this week. If you need to talk to the elders, please come up as we stand and sing.